Welcome back to the Spinner Rack here at the Marvel New Universe Comics Podcast. We're your hosts. Andy with Starbrand 7 and Steven with the Troubleshooters and Spitfire number 8. Started in 19... Now with more Spitfire. (laughs) (laughs) At least 50%. I was going to go 20% more, but... Started in 1986, the new universe was an imprint from Marvel Comics dedicated to a more grounded and less fantastical approach to comics. The idea was the world outside your window with real-time progress. Eight new comic series launched in one month set in our world in 1986. Now, as the stories progressed to 1987, the world still largely doesn't know about paranormals, except for a few secret agencies. With our podcast, you can follow along with us each week as we go through each comic in the order they hit the spinner rack, or just check out individual comics if you already have a favorite. We also have a recent recap episode that covers the first six issues of each series. We should take this moment to mention our website if you'd like to learn a bit more about the podcast or us or the new universe. Uh, it's all at kickersinc.com. And uh, as long as you're on the internet, you can um, take a, you can still go through our questionnaire for the Summer Spectacular Super Sleuth Sweepstakes that's still available although we're hoping for a new contest soon. Um, Further down the internet, you will find our friends over at the uh, Marvel Comics New Universe fans fan page over on Facebook. And um, you can finish up with a round over at Twitter where we're at Kickers Inc. And we have those links on kickersinc.com, the website too now, you know, real fancy links on our website centralize all the links and uh, <laughs> uh, there's no ads on our website really that should be a selling point <laughs> that's true yeah we we have not no if there's a pop-up ad you've gone to the wrong place <laughs> we uh support the modest uh thing from our own um uh pockets we'll call them sure all right so so yeah um so this week i'll be covering Starbrand. We missed it last time, but it's back. Uh, Everyman Ken Connell was given a power called the Star Brand under mysterious circumstances. Wanting to help others, but also afraid to expose himself, Connell struggles to grow up and find use for the brand's unlimited power while dating many, many available women. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, it was sorely missed last last month. So, so this week, our Star Brand 7 promo is Star Brand must battle the ancient alien who gave him his incredible powers. A shocker. Ah! Kind of. Yeah, yeah well, that's actually yeah. quite accurate. That's accurate. Um, yeah, we, we, we went over it last month, but the Star Brand publishing schedule had gone bi-monthly at this point. And we weren't 100% sure which date it was it came out on but um this is uh the way it works best in our schedule so now you'll instead of everything having the same um issue number we're already getting off track so as we said welcome to phase two things get crazy now yeah i I miss our uh, nicely lined up schedule of 
let's do all the issue sixes and then let's do all the wait no okay <laughs> it was good while it lasted uh, so this week i'll be covering spitfire and the troubleshooters professor jenny swenson stole and then destroyed her father's advanced max armor briefly went to prison and has been pushed off stage of her own title by five MIT student hackers who have been getting themselves killed. She's still Spitfire, and they were the troubleshooters. This week, Spitfire, just Spitfire, and the troubleshooters? Number eight. The troubleshooters meet a mysterious benefactor and get into a lot more trouble than they've ever had. More than getting killed? (laughs) Plus, the new Spitfire armor is revealed. Written by Jerry Conway and Roy Thomas, penciled by Herb Trimpey. It's a little further off the mark, I'd say. Yeah, that might be next issue. Hope Springs Eternal. Yeah. And, uh... Yeah, right. There we go. We got some Spitfire. All right, ready to talk Starbrand, then? Oh, I've been waiting so long for this. So long. <laughs> I mean, with the podcast, so you, know, you can just click next episode once it's published. So there's no waiting. But for us, it's been torture. <laughs> yeah, we, you know, we we put it we put it on the reading pile last month. So we read it. Like we always sort of wait for the week that these things are released, so we don't spoil ourselves. But so we read it, and then we have to sort of sit on it for a month, which isn't quite as bad as like waiting for two months and never have, you know, have, knowing what's going to happen, why it's late or anything, but it's frustrating in its own way. Yeah. Take it, take it away though. All right. Starbrand seven. All right. Um, so cover date, May, 1987, uh, actual release either January or February in 87. Uh, yeah. But it doesn't matter. Cause we're talking about it now. Um, the cover you know, so we got Ken in his brown kind of star brand outfit to some degree uh, in the back, kind of pulsing with power in the front, the old man strangling some random brown haired woman who's probably supposed to be duck. I'm going to say a very off model duck. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, like a ho- there's like the those instruments uh, for a generic hospital room. Yeah. So, yeah. So she's on the ground. We're on a bed and old man is uh, choking her. It definitely uh, gives you a scene of, uh, you know, there's going to be some trouble this issue. But Ken has maybe been replaced by, um, well, a religious icon. I don't know. <laughs> some wavy brown haired legless thing. <laughs> I don't know what to think of it. But anyway, inside the issue, Ken with shreds of pants <laughs> um probably a, a good time to do at least some recap so we got um a twist and really the the first major change in star brand jim shooter with the plot roy thomas with the script and then we still have john ramita jr pencils art nichols inker joe rosen letterer good old janet jackson the colorist right but but yeah this is jim shooter only plotting not actually writing the full script but it still feels quite Jim Shooter. I want to say the inker is new. It was um, Al Williamson before. 
Um, yeah, he was most often paired, I think, with Romita Jr. It does. I mean, so it's the Romita we've come to love, but it's a little. There's a shadow of different inking that, uh, but minor difference, I guess. Yeah, just a touch. But so, where were we last time? So. Ken decides to go honest and marry Barb. Uh, old man shows back up, um, basically breaks them up, you know, through, you know, causing various problems that Ken can't explain. Uh, the old man starts dating through hypnosis and then threatening Duck. It took like over like one day. So, yeah, it was. Yeah so bizarre it seemed like a dream episode at first yeah it was definitely unusual and then uh you know we ended with kind of a battle kind of finally between ken and the old man and it didn't end conclusively but ken set off a blast um the old man fled and ken was left kind of floating in space wondering exactly where he is and that's where we pick up here um, so he's lost and his pants are destroyed. <laughs> uh, it's actually kind of fun because, you know, superheroes, you know, we tend to not wreck their costumes, especially pants. You know, the Hulk is sort of famous for that. Um, but he's got shreds around his ankles and shreds around his waist and some shoes. <laughs> Other than that, he's just floating there. Uh, where is it? Where? Where is the earth? <laughs> uh, on a big splash page on the background of just stars. So... That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a couple, it's uh, like the second issue in a row where he's just sort of fl- flying or floating. And, like it's real nice. Yeah. So, so as you can imagine, <laughs> if you're floating out in space with only your focus on your powers uh, keeping you alive, uh, and you don't know how to get back to Earth, right? Three dimensions of space right? is really tricky, and so. You know, Ken's kind of reasoning out his situation, but he's basically terrified. Um, so he spends a little time kind of recapping what happened. Um, we get more recap later. Um, but yeah, you know, he's out there in space. He can't talk. He starts to feel cold when he loses concentration. You know, starts thinking now again, what's going on back on Earth, right? Is the old man just kind of waiting here uh, in case I slip? And I'm just going to freeze to death and he'll steal my power back. Um, you know, is he threatening duck? Is duck even alive? We don't know what's going on and neither does Ken. Um, but he finally kind of gets his wits about him and thinks, and he's looking and he finds, you know, one star that's kind of bigger and brighter than the others, presumably the sun. Um, and actually kind of clever, you know, so he positions himself where, the sun looks about the same size as it would be from Earth, right? I'm not sure how easy or how hard that would be to actually pull off, um, but, but I kind of like it. And then he kind of wings himself in orbit around there until he can spin around and, and run into or, or get close enough to actually find the Earth. Uh, so he didn't spend too much time lost in space. He was able to kind of reason it out and uh, rescue himself. I still like my idea where he spends an issue or two lost in space. I don't know. Why. 
Yeah. Let me, this takes me back to when I was a young boy. Let me remember how that worked out. Fill in issue, you know. Um, <laughs> all yeah, identification, no action. Yeah, yeah. I mean, don't move the plot forward at all for a couple more months. It's actually, I mean, they could have done that, like, I think in a regular title, just uh, slip in, you know, some some memory or something, and then he gets himself out the next month if they were, like, behind schedule instead of going to bi-monthly. But anyway, I I, I kind of like the his solution, but I also, I, I, I kind of think it's a... Um, it's a little more three-dimensional, like you were saying, in space. Mm-hmm. So even if you're at the right distance, you're kind of having to cover this sphere around the sun. Yeah, I, I give him a pass on that because it's comics, right? Like, you know, we don't want to waste three. I mean, as much as you want a couple of comics worth of kind of floating <laughs> in space by himself, like, Did you know, I fly he has to like, direction? all right, well, let me readjust my orbit and this angle a couple times until he gets it right is maybe not the most compelling use of page space. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> you may never get your dream of a well, truly lost in space where there's no aliens to run into. I'm the most boring fan fiction imaginable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anyway, so, so he flies back down um kind of ken's better at reorienting himself now so he finds pittsburgh pretty quickly um back to westgate village apartments uh where he calls up debbie's mom um and figures out which hospital she's in we get a yahoo she's not dead right (laughs) i i I hear you there ken i'm feeling the same way um so yeah he goes to visit debbie in the hospital and she's pretty wrecked so she's got kind of wrap on the head and across the nose, like her nose has been broken, uh, at least a cast on the arm uh, and a neck brace. You know, so she's pretty beat up, um, but she's happy to see him, right? And so she says, Kenny, he just touched me and it was like I was on fire, right? So, you know, presumably used some of that old man, strange energy burst kind of power. Um but yeah, so they're reunited. Ken's crying. Duck's kind of happy and still just um, ridiculously devoted to Ken, right? I love you, so I got to face anything. Anybody tries to hurt you, even him. <laughs> right on. <laughs> uh, Actually, maybe the next one is good. You know something? I don't think he's really an old man at all. <laughs> Nope. Good point, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't really know what he is, and I'm not sure we're ever going to find out, at least for the satisfaction, but we'll, we'll see. Uh, <clears throat> so, of course, Barb being selfless, uh, well, you should probably go check on some people other besides a half-dead duck, quack. <laughs> um, so he goes and checks on Barb, um, gets about as friendly as a reception as you can imagine, as Barb is utterly and completely fed up and tired of him at this point. Um, mentions how she, she shouldn't have bothered to get back with him after she knew, uh, after she saw photos of Debbie in his apartment and kind of knew he was still fooling around. Um, <clears throat> so they separate. Ken grabs his stuff. He's thinking to himself, yeah, I could have talked her out of it. She wanted me to. At least I think she did. Anyway, she'll be safer without me around. Um, so, you know, again, rationalizations, we call you Ken Connell. Yeah. Um, so 
let me just point out that they don't say anything about the big fight with the old man that was right outside Barb's house that went through at least several cars and a house nearby. That's a good point. <laughs> um, sort of thing people would notice, I guess. Well, maybe it was so unusual that she was unable to connect the dots that that destruction could have been related to her boyfriend, who, for all she knows, doesn't have superpowers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Anyway, so... I'm not going to nitpicks. You just did. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's a good catch, though, uh, because I hadn't thought about that since uh, the big gap since I read the previous issue but that makes a lot of sense um so again you know ken kind of goes back to his back to his home uh he's, he's, he's checked on his mom and dad you know, everybody seems to be okay um he calls myron before he's left you know kind of like eh, why am i even calling this guy <laughs> he'll just charge me like it was an office visit and he, maybe he's right it's a little little bitter that was like four issues ago i don't know <laughs> Yeah, well, those kind of things could stick with you, I guess. Yeah. Right. So, so he ends up looking back at his journal. So, you know, really kind of as a, as a reason to recap uh, what's gone on in the series. And I don't think we know, need to go into it in a crazy amount of detail, you know, but, you know, the old man gives him the star brand, but under weird circumstances where he's sort of hypnotized and maybe passed out at the time and has to kind of try and remember it back. He fights off an alien who wants the star brand uh, and sends him packing. Um, well, actually, actually, before then, the old man seems to have died, but then maybe was an alien and maybe disappeared. So there's a lot of questionable stuff. Uh, then another alien reappears. He fights him off. He talks about the uh, Middle Eastern Matahari and her Qaddafi fan club ambushing him <laughs> uh, from a previous issue. Um, and da, 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 the bunch of escapees. So there were some paranormal escapees from the mental hospital that you know basically beat up Ken uh, when he lost concentration. They had a, a combination of like strength and mind powers. Talks about how he took down the terrorists, uh, and you know, lucky he didn't start World War Three. All sorts of just kind of details from the previous issues. I liked where he said about the um, mental hospital escapees. Yeah, I, I got to look into that as soon as I get the time. <laughs> so they're sort of hinting that maybe that we will revisit that, I, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, they yeah, they they haven't shown up again to him yet. So I don't know. Yeah. Maybe someone who will call Kicker's Inc. on them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Actually, that would have been a good crossover. But anyway, so, you know, Ken's kind of thinks through his past history all up up to the combat that we talked about that was in last issue. And, you know, the old man isn't dead. I'm sure he isn't. But then what's his plan? Even dumber question, what's mine? (laughs) So he tries to get some sleep, but uh, there's some dogs fighting in the yard. So a couple of dogs fighting. One was from next door. Must have got off his leash. But, oh, that's a pit bull tearing into him. So, so we get we get some pit bull knowledge dropped on us, I guess. Um, those things are killers. Other dog may be bigger, but against a pit bull, he ain't hasn't got a prayer. Better help him out, or I couldn't look the owner in the face, right? So, 
you know, he kind of jumps out the window. Of course, he's invulnerable, so he's able to, unlike any normal person, kind of pry the pit bull's jaws off of the dog. Pit bull kind of clamps down onto him. Um, and, you know, he's standing there in his underpants with the dog held by his scruff of his neck. Um, and when he lets the dog go, it just keeps chasing after the dog, the dog the pit bull was fighting in the first place. So um, that's how pit bulls are. You can't stop them. You can't scare them. The only chance you have is to kill them. But I can't bring myself to do that. After all, the dog's only following his instincts. Right. So well, he's not wrong. Looking up the statistics, uh, pit bulls accounted for 91% of all reported fatal attacks on other animals. Yeah. So, you know, bring it to it, you know, bring that those details to attention because it kind of becomes important for the story later. Uh, but that's the kind of his thing, right? You can't stop them. You can't scare them. The only chance you have is to kill them. <laughs> Hmm, kill them, uh, you say. Perhaps <laughs> this is the answer to the problem I've been having. So, so Mrs. Johnson, apparently his apartment neighbor, kind of hollers at him to be careful. But when he walks back to his apartment door, uh, there's a scratched message on it. It says, Connell, exclamation point, the brand, or people die. Oh, um, so the old man went to the, uh, what is it, the Fist School of Threats <laughs> from Kickers Inc. when they're leaving stuff in Jack's locker. <laughs> Uh, check out those issues if you haven't listened to the Kickers Inc. stuff. It's pretty fun. Um, so now Ken knows for sure. Okay, he's definitely alive. I only thought so, but now I know. And I love this transition. He says, nuts. Might as well try putting an ad in the classified, like to find him. And then you turn the page and it's like the ads that look like the classifieds on the comics. <laughs> <laughs> Would have been cool if they snuck something in there. Oh, yeah, man. Old man, where are you? <laughs> Let's fight. Leave me then, alone or massacre. I will threaten you with a massacre. How's that now? You feel better now? Right. Send 35 cents for comic selling list and free protective comic bag. <laughs> Maybe some x-ray glasses. I don't know. Oh, free gold. Hmm. These, these, these are like the real old, old ads too. Yeah. 1001 insult book. We could use that maybe. Oh man, that would have been awesome. Finally, <laughs> we'd have some A material. Right, some good stuff. Um, but he doesn't quite know what to do, right? So, you know, we get the impression that some time has passed. Um, and he's just not really sure, right? So, you know, is he stalking me? You know, is he watching me right now? Where can I go? Are my friends safe? You know, he decides to attempt to, you know, find a, a safe spot. So he goes to his parents' house where we meet his mom again. Um, and he kind of sits down on the couch and he's like, oh, I really got a crash. You know, just let me know if anyone comes to the door, no matter who it is, let me know if anything unusual happens, you know, and then he falls asleep. Um, of course, mom let him down. <laughs> <laughs> this is so perfect. It's uh... yeah. Elvin, the paper boy is at the door. So, so he gets startled awake a couple hours later. And the paper boy came. He's like, what? You promised to wake me if anybody came. <laughs> like, it's just the paper boy. Oh, and that strange scratching noise I heard. Uh, moms. Um, but yeah, so yeah, scratched on her concrete front step is the brand or massacre. <laughs> so nobody's using the classifieds. They're just writing things on the walls and floors. 
think that was the Qaddafi fan club message in the classified, though. Now that I think yeah, it. probably. <laughs> they were just trying to sell posters, I think, though. Um. <laughs> but anyway, so Ken kind of scratches it out, scolds his mom. Um, <clears throat> you know, what am I, what was I even thinking? You know, I'm just bringing. Uh, bringing attention to my parents and now the old guy knows <laughs> knows where they are uh, so again just kind of flying around he stops at a diner uh, he's got kind of a cool black outfit with black trench coat going on you know a lot more uh, serious looking than his kind of regular clothes i was gonna say this is i mean i like his original like motocross outfit but i think this is the best outfit i've seen him wear period it reminds me of uh, Neo in Matrix number two. Uh, yeah, it is very Neo. And I mean, it, it's like, it's cape-like without being a cape. It's, uh, you know, somber. I mean, I think we've seen the, like, future um, outfits he'll be in. And, you know, I'd say this is A number one. Yeah. I mean, I, I will always be partial to the original kind of, like, guy in a t-shirt. Or like the the brown suit, which you know the Barb's kid ripped, which I'm presuming is why it's a little bit MIA at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no no sooner than you talk about how you like the outfit, than as he's kind of flying around, you know, getting kind of frustrated. You know, where are you hiding, creep? You need some more light to find me. I'll give you light. So he kind of shoots off his power uh, release up in the Pittsburgh night sky. Um, and nothing except he kind of shredded his nice outfit that you liked. <laughs> <laughs> so painful. Oh, oh well. <laughs> so he gives up, kind of goes to sleep, or is kind of half asleep. You know, he hears a noise. Um, you know, he, again, he's, it seems like, if anything, he's trying to kind of catch the old man uh, leaving these messages and such. But, but finally, the old guy is tired of scrape, scraping messages and calls him on the phone. <laughs> Uh, hello, Connell. You. <laughs> I'm with Deb. I want the brand within 10 minutes or she dies. Click. Wait. Oh. oh, oh. <laughs> it's a nice uh, uh, panel, like panel with his phone in the year and then just like his eyes is like he's thinking. Yeah, thinking and sweating. Right. So then we get a little bit of showdown. So we get actually i really love the setup here so after the phone call then we get like a view through the window of the old man uh in barb's hospital room it's kind of like maybe ken's view as he's watching him you know again kind of one of the things with star brand has been like it's been 100 percent ken's perspective right we never see what's going on without him around um but it's a nice panel the old man basically just standing over duck with his hand on her throat kind of looking around wondering what's going on um <laughs> Yeah, basically. Um, then we see Ken's the legs. Time. Yeah, we see Ken's legs as if he's kind of flying around on the outside, right? So if the light's on on the inside, you know, you can see in there pretty well, but the old man's not going to be able to see out, right? So he's kind of just watching and waiting. And even like the time on the clock on the wall is passing. So he's, he's, he's did not wait 10 minutes, right? He says, I, old man says i said 10 minutes you took two hours so i I like this i think ken's kind of trying to regain some power here old man connell (laughs) i had some thinking to do hello duck she can't talk not with my hand on her throat 
give it to me now, or I crush her neck, brace and wind, brace and her neck brace and windpipe like two parts of the same eggshell. Says Duck, I know you'll understand about what I've got to do. Talk to me, Connell, not her. I should have two voices here, but I'm not as good as you. <laughs> I just came to say goodbye, Duck. You see, I've got to, I've got to kill him, even if it means he kills me, even if it means he kills you. He's like a pit bull, see? You can't ignore him. You can't reason with him. You can only try to kill him before he kills you and everybody around you. So that's what I'm going to do. Goodbye, Duck. I love you, too. Ouch. Ouch, indeed. Oh. Right? But this is about as concise as Ken Connell has ever been and, like, clear-headed and, like, this is what I'm doing. Like, no waffling. <laughs> you know? No wondering who he should go with and, and such. You know, he knows what he's doing now. All right, so the old man says, you're bluffing. Give it to me. He's like, do it, old man. Get it over with. Kill her so we can get on with it. You've got three seconds, and I'm coming for you no matter what. Three, two, and the old man kind of recoils back like, (gasps) (laughs) this is probably a side of Ken he's never seen. So he takes off, right? The old guy shoots through the window, um, doesn't hurt Doc. Uh, just blasts through the through the hospital glass window and Ken goes flying out after her. So um, old man zooms ahead, but Ken quickly catches up to him and kind of grabs him by the legs. You know, I've got the brand and this is the night we find out what else we've got. <laughs> right? So you've got your weapon. I've got the brand. You know, it's showdown time. So they kind of crashed in a conveniently wooded area uh, outside the hospital uh, he says, you outsmarted yourself. You know that you didn't leave me any choices. You didn't see what you didn't see was that didn't leave you any. Right. So like, this is it. So grabs him, punches him, goes flying, breaking through trees. Right. So you got a serious action scene and you're not going to get away with playing dead this time either. Cause this time I'm going to make sure you're ah. <laughs> so the old man gets him with an energy blast kind of launches Ken, you know, out even further away from the city, perhaps um, basically makes a huge crater in the ground. So, you know, burned up the forest, just a, it looks like a fingerprint almost of just ash. Yeah. Ken pops out, right. As the old man has turned his back, the old man kind of thought, you know, I thought I might flush you out if I turned my back. But basically, Ken's behind him. He's kind of got his arms pinned and kind of grabbed. He says, I'm through playing by the rules with you, old man. There's too much at stake. Right. So at this point, they were getting kind of like energy buildup in the background. So like the all the background is kind of white and pink and energy crackle-ish. Not quite Kirby dots, but the same sort of idea. Um, so the old man starts to kind of reason, you know, you've no conception of the stakes for which we fight, Connell. How many times uh, must I tell you that? And like one less than you just did, so spare me, right? So you know, Ken realizes he's building up his power. And, you know, even though the old man's power is maybe quite, not quite as strong, um, you know, Ken doesn't know how to use the star brand quite as much. Also, the old man doesn't really care if he hurts people. So he's thinking he's got to get him out of there. Um, so again, with the pit bull, my only chance is to hang on to him. I can't let go no matter what. So the old man's trying to blast him away with power, um, you know, kind of explodes, but Ken hangs on, he tries to headbutt him. Ken hangs on, he tries to kind of backswing and punch him. 
you know, Ken gives him a punch in the stomach, right? And this at this point, the old man's starting to go down. Quite a quite a fight scene so far. Yeah, this is like uh, I think it started was about halfway through the comics, so this is like Titanic fight that's taking up majority of the comic pages. Yeah, I mean, if anything, the, the whole the story's been building to this, right? There's still mystery, but. You know, in the beginning, the old man gave him the brand. And then as we found out, like maybe even right away, wanted it back. Um, though things are still a little bit mysterious, I would say. Um, but yeah, so, you know, Ken socks him in the stomach. Why aren't you trying to talk me out of killing you, old man? Why are you bargaining to tell me more about the intergalactic war you wanted me to fight for you? Why aren't you offering to teach me the secrets of the star brand once and for all? Why aren't you telling me some more lies to try and save your life? And he's punching him in the face each line. Why? 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 And he basically picks him up over his head. The old man looks pretty well out. And then at this point, what is sort of a little confusing, we get sort of a big energy blast and like a straight beam coming like right up out of the old man and, and zooming out like it's actually you know shot off the planet into space which is pretty cool and it's over <laughs> so we, we go back to the pittsburgh skyline and there's kind of a smoking crater it looks like you know maybe even took out a chunk of the coastline there's <laughs> somewhere along the water it's a little hard just to tell uh, but basically ken is there no clothes left, you know, pile of ash. He's dead. I know I've been fooled before, but nah, but I've, but by now I can tell if he's faking it. Uh, whatever alien energy powered the old man, it went back to the stars for keeps, leaving nothing but an inhuman husk behind. And we see the husk. And it does look a little inhuman or maybe just, you know, charred person. It's hard to tell. Yeah, it's just a very partial uh, view of the face yeah old think old man beef jerky (laughs) that's what we're looking at uh this time it's like the this time isn't like the first time this shell is as empty as life as if it never had any well i'm not going to bury it not this time around from the stars it came and they can have it back so naked ken throws it into space (laughs) and it goes flying into space (laughs) i like it (laughs) So we get some pictures of some buns. A uh, little something for the ladies. A little something for the ladies. All right. Nothing to do but wait and pray the old man was wrong. That the war out there somewhere doesn't eventually find its way here. Because Lord, if it does. Well, later I got to go see if Deb's okay. And well, maybe stop by and get some clothes. <laughs> so yeah, 18 minutes is what it takes to fly over to get your clothes and get dressed. And back to the hospital. Um so yeah, you know, he apologizes, you know, Duck is even a little bit more injured and can't really talk after having been partially strangled for a couple of hours. Uh, he said, if you can forgive me, well, just give me a little sign or something. Just wiggle, wiggle your fingers or maybe. Quack. <laughs> yeah, something like that. I love you, Duck. Quack. <laughs> and that's it. Get a little end there in the corner. That's right. We did get an end. And to me, that very well could be the last issue of Starbrand. 
but we yeah, can talk you'd, about you'd, that another time. <laughs> well, you'd mentioned that before as like a, a you know, this would have worked as uh, this the series end too. Yeah, I think it very well could work as that. Yeah, or could have. Yeah, I don't know if that's what Shooter had planned or this just the the way it worked out and as they were going, but uh, whether he thought to himself, well, if I'm leaving, I'll give them a kind of a good, decent conclusion. Um, yeah. I mean, they, they, I, they probably had solicitations going already, right? We kind of know that they did. Um, but yeah, it, 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 it very much feels like an ending, right? So we got closure in the Barb relationship, more or less, you know, closure with the old man, Ken and right. Duck, perhaps, you know, either back as best friends or back as, you know, uh, a couple, but at least they're together and she's safe. Right. So. And the, as you said before, it's, it's not really like a fight club comic. It's more of a romance comic. So once you know sort of how his relationships are headed, you know, I mean, yeah, maybe he goes in and finds those mental patients with the superpowers later, but you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah that's not as interesting as like you know which ladies uh are catching his eye these days so i don't know in that sense it gives me a good feel yeah definitely it know. does it does for sure and when i finished reading it i managed the chips ahoy uh, maze with only touching one chocolate chip so because <laughs> it's impossible to do it without touching at least one chocolate chip uh. Because there's so many, because there's so much chocolate in it. <laughs> well, it was a uh, what a ride. Um, the conveniently placed pit bull. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, if that. it weren't for that pit bull, he he might have still been indecisive. <laughs> um, let's see. No, that's. Uh, Yeah, it was, it was very much a big fight too, right? So, the, I mean, that's not, yeah, with the staples are in the book where where it starts or where he's confronting the old man. So, I I would give that a good fifty percent of the book is the fight. And, uh, before that, it's yeah, it's all just sort of working himself up to it. He's yeah. like super stressed out, and you get a good feel for that too. Um, like the. I'm, I'm worried this guy's going to attack me from an unknown direction or attack someone else I love. And he, Ken's really getting strung out. He's not sleeping. He's, he's paranoid and everything, and justifiably so. So that, that also comes across pretty clearly in this. So yeah. by the time and, you get the, the fight, it's very cathartic, I think. Yeah, and, and in classic Jim Shooter style, we got like solid re recap of the series as well, too. So. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a great montage. Uh, that that page would be uh, if you collect original art, I would definitely look for that one. Okay, so it's been a little while since we've read and given a letter grade to a Star Brand issue. <laughs> do you want to go first? <laughs> do you want me to go first? I feel like I influence your answers sometimes. Uh, you don't hypnotize me like the old man. I don't know. That's how uh, we do it where I come from. <laughs> It's uh, um, 
Well, I mean, it's it's hard to like view it in isolation because um, the the overall feeling I have from it is like the culmination of this several months of. Uh, but um, I think on its own, I would still give this one an A. The um, cover being a little off model, and the inker being a little um, yeah, having a. a a slightly different look still gives this uh, has enough of a continuity to the overall series so far um, that I'm still happy with the John Romita Jr., the Jim Shooter, and uh, I guess the the Roy Thomas uh, scripting is 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 fine. I didn't have, the dialogue wasn't off model. You know what I mean? So yeah, if if you hadn't told me, I don't think I would have really known. And even having known that it was Roy Thomas with the script, like, you know, there was no point where I'm like, that sounds off or like this feels a little different. It, it seems pretty much like the same. So. Yeah. That I don't know if, um, yeah. I don't think Thomas and shooter were terribly close, but um, I don't know. Maybe he's just got a good talent for sort of uh, spotting how someone else has been writing something. Because like you say, all this stuff about how it's always kind of from Ken's point of view, um, the covers almost never have, you know, dialogue or anything. It's just like an image or something. Um, right. Yeah. But... Little, no, no one else has thought balloons. There's no narration boxes, all that. Yeah. So. Yep. Yeah. I think uh, and it's, it's hard to know, you know, how much detail Roy Thomas Scott, right? It could have been like all but the words kind of thing. So in level of detail, we don't know. But yeah, it worked out quite well. Um, I, yeah, it's an easy aid for me. Like you, I mean, it's kind of these big emotional moments and kind of big moments in the series and things kind of coming to a closure are, are kind of hard to not, uh, hard to be super objective about. But, you know, we're not really about like, mega analyzing all the panel structure or any of those kinds of things unless something glaringly awesome or glaringly bad shows up um so yeah this is this is great so i would have been pretty happy with it at the time yeah it's only missing like i mean it's got two ladies but <laughs> one in peril and one dumping him so <laughs> <laughs> you know. if only like the babysitter had come by and also say you know, you're a little too old for me there, Mr. Connell, or something. That would have been great. I think it would have been better if she was just there, like, leaving as he was flying in, and, like, he just kind of turned his head and ogled her real quick, like, didn't even <laughs> say anything, just a little nod, like, hmm. <laughs> I still been, got it. Yeah. That would have that would have felt on point to me. <laughs> Sounds good. All right, we're handing out those A's these days. Uh, not Not forever. Not forever, but I, th I think it's worth it's uh, worthy. And uh, if it's I'd give him an A just for that outfit alone. I got to tell you. <laughs> yeah, sadly, I'm guessing we won't see it again. Ah, it's a cruel world in the universe sometimes, but oh well. But yeah, there's, there's a lot of questions going forward. I think you know, as we have both officially read the series before. You know, my memory is not perfect, but you know, at this point, it's like, all right, is is that the end of Barb? Do we see her again? You know, is 
you know, is there anything, are we going to follow up with those weird paranormals? Like, does this outer space conflict thing come into play at some point way down the line? Um, is it just, you know, does Duck become Ken's sidekick? Like, does Myron ever show up again? Or is he totally done with that guy? Yeah. Yeah, at, those, at this point, yeah, all those are still open questions. And kind of, you're, you're well-placed to be at least optimistic about it, I'd say. Yeah. Right. You, I mean, I think we, most readers like go along with both of us in thinking Duck was the, the better choice for him. And so, you know, that alone is like a pew, barbs out of the picture. <laughs> <laughs> sounds so mean when i put it that way but, it does what's wrong with you uh but uh, i don't know the the i mean she's a perfectly fine character who you know, just uh doesn't seem to match him quite as well and um i don't know the kids don't show up again but that's always a part of it that like family yeah. structure well she always seemed to like him more than he liked her back barb so Right. So I guess you could say that about Duck too, but that's what makes it fun. Yeah, we didn't see Duck like immediately start dating someone else when she like the way Barb did. I guess. You remember? Yeah, yeah. We had the the brief moment of the guy, <laughs> the the new boyfriend that Ken was angrily peeping at through the window at. <laughs> yeah, kissing my girl. <laughs> I forgot to post. I'm also cheating on. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. I don't know. I got to watch, like, I I don't know if the 80s, like, had totally gotten over, like, the 70s swingers and key parties and all that stuff. Like, (laughs) people were still kind of, everyone had a trouble with uh, commitment at this point, but I don't know. Yeah. Or just could be a reflection of the uh, the writers at Marvel at the time too. So, yeah, that too. So, well, all right. Well, shall we take a break and then uh, come back and see if any of the troubleshooters are still alive? <laughs> Let's do it. All right. Welcome back. Uh, we're going to head up and get into Spitfire, kind of, and the Troubleshooters, number eight, which uh, cover dated May 1987 and probably came out on February 17, 87. Now, we should point out that at this point, the cover only has the title Spitfire. So it's just Spitfire number eight. But um, the, so the troubleshooters were broken last issue and are, all, are gone completely now. However, legally or technically, um, the indicia on the first page does still have it as Spitfire and the troubleshooters. So mm, it's not on the cover. 
it was broken last issue. What could that mean? I don't understand. What's the symbolism here? I don't get it. Um, if anything, you would think the Spitfire would be broken or at least behind bars and the troubleshooters would be made larger. Mm. But um, all I care about is strong arms are on the cover. Yeah, finally, the cover has a, it's a nice shot of uh, Eddie Giotti and his strong arms. Uh, beat, given a beat down to Steelhawk in uh, a towel. It's <laughs> that's just how Steelhawk rolls. <laughs> he's he's not hosing himself off this time. He's always doing something. Um, there's like I don't know what you call it, but like instead of black and white, it's uh, like red and white um, vision of Jenny Swenson in the background. I don't know. That's like a technical thing where you uh, you do yeah. a colorist. Um, I know what you mean, but I don't have the correct words to describe it better. Uh, only I knew an expert. Um, the uh, let's see, and there's a title "Revenge" on the cover. So the revenge sounds great after the last couple of issues. I got to tell you, we'll see. Ah. Wait, is it revenge or is it called down and dirty? <laughs> yeah, we get into the splash page and it's down and dirty. And down has an arrow pointing down in case you didn't get it. Mm, that makes a little less sense. I'm a little less <laughs> yeah, I don't really understand now. that one. But um, The splash is Eddie Giotti and Teresa Roberts. Um, are in a hospital emergency room and it's the narration boxes are talking about how they had just brought their friend Andy in and he was DOA as you'll remember Steelhawk turned his own max mini max weapon on him beam splitter and uh, killed him instantly probably yeah the the picture gave me a, a slight bit of hope you know because like they're kind of rushing him through the hospital as if to try and save him but then the narration box makes it pretty clear well, Andy's I not that, coming back. yeah i think that's uh tim ferris no no wait you're no, right because he's still got his legs still has legs you're right yeah. so yeah they're saying um he's he's the doctors confirmed what they already knew don't don't do and he's dead and um, while they're standing there and uh, rushing past him, um, Eric Chin is coming into the door. Terry Giotti. Let's see. This is um, again by written by Kerry Bates. Um, Alan Kupperberg is on layouts. Tony DeZanuga um, finishes. So I think the same team as last issue, basically. Um, so Eric pops in is like oh guys uh, i'm uh, so glad to see you. you you heard about tim tim we're here because of andy what happened to tim oh he was uh, taking a shortcut this morning and um um someone fired a bazooka at him or some some wacko on a snowplow our last issue was conway and bates and now we're just bates oh okay um, editor's note Oh, thank you. Research department is stepping up its game over here. <laughs> Kickers Inc. So Eric uh, continues recapping the previous issue. 
guy must have had a grenade launcher on him or something. Fastback ran poor Ferris head on into an exploding grenade that must have landed right in front of him. The doctors had to amputate both legs above the knee. But he's going to live. What about Andy? Well, we're in the woods. He was practicing with beam splitter and we were followed by the same sadistic sleaze who must have crippled Ferris. And uh, that was a real pro. Yeah, it's the guy you were been fighting for two issues, three issues. Anyway. <laughs> right. You know this. Come on, guys. Get it together. It's true, Eric. Andy was dead before he hit the ground. Oh, God. Troubleshooters. That's what we called ourselves. What a sick joke all of this has turned out to be. I really feel the writer is getting a little heavy handed here. <laughs> oh, make me write a book about troubleshooters. I'll show you some troubleshooters. <laughs> They're dead. That's some trouble. Yeah. You happy now? They shot themselves trouble. These college um, kids wouldn't be able to take on a trained assassin. Maybe. Yeah. So Eddie's, it's not over, Terry. Not yet. Not until I found the, found the piece of living filth to make him pay for what he did today. And Eric jumps back with, Eduardo, you can't mean that. One of us has been murdered. Another crippled. Why? I'll tell you why. Because we, for months we've been taking foolish risks with our max suits. All for the sake of helping you know her who with her problems. Uh, ouch, Eric. Stab us all in the back while you're... Jeez. Like she never told him to build those things. She never, never told, told him to come him. along. She's always trying to leave him behind. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know, man. Have you been with some other troubleshooters? Because the one I've been reading about are uh, you know, always um, being told not to do this. So I don't know why you'd blame her. Unless no. you think she's using some sort of reverse psychology. I don't know. <laughs> well, trying to take have like 20-year-old college students claim personal responsibility perhaps is a stretch, right? So maybe the, maybe that is accurate. Like <laughs> not my fault the homework didn't get done. They shouldn't have gave me as much. <laughs> Sorry, college teacher PTSD. Ah, oh, yeah. Speaking from... Uh... I sent these some are, these are supposed down. to be the good kids. So Eric's right. If there is a troubleshooters hit list, three of us must still be on it. Not just us. Don't forget about Jenny. Like, oh, wait, I've been trying to reach her all day. I, think, I hope she doesn't, they didn't kill her too. The next day, elsewhere. <laughs> I, ironically, out. from here on, they basically do completely forget about Jenny. Yeah, I think that's, that's the last <laughs> week. <laughs> connection we have between spitfire and the troubleshooters uh, but hey she's back in her own comic and we get some actual story from her so woohoo <laughs> yes um yes so she's um waking up in a room of darkness the end of last issue she'd just been sort of uh grabbed off the street and thrown into the murder van but um She's somewhere else, and um, now she's just in a dark room with a spotlight on her. Nothing to worry about at all. So she remembers uh, coming, like hitting a van and getting drugged with a tranquilizer or something. She's sort of slowly getting up and is like, sees the spotlights and is like, who's there? I demand to know why I've been abducted. The reason can be explained in three letters, Miss Swenson. 
M A X. Sex? No, M M A X. I'm sick pervert. I don't know what you're asking for. Not that kind of comic. We have been contracted by a certain consortium to obtain the technology for the top secret max amplification experiments. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> oh, the kidnapper, and they want to know about man amplification. Maybe it's about <laughs> sex. <laughs> We're getting all these interesting emails. <laughs> Why? Why? Uh, we will ask you to co- cooperate voluntarily only once. And she says, well, you know what my answer is? Two letters. N-O. Uh, I'll teach him. Yeah, we've done your, our, our homework on you, Miss Swenson. We know, for example, of your years of rigorous martial arts training, which you have never demonstrated in this comic book. <laughs> <laughs> But here we've flown in at great expense, I might add. What are you, the bookkeeper for the evil villain? <laughs> Is she supposed to feel bad that they spent money on this guy? <laughs> I didn't ask you to spend money on him. I don't know why you're giving me a hard time about this. He's a sparring partner to help you keep your combat skills honed. His name is Brick, and he's specially selected just for this assignment. So he's, here's this... Um, strong but rather random looking uh, guy in a um, workout outfit yeah it almost Um, looks like a sports outfit but not really right because it's got like coordinated color but it's not really yeah he's got uh so he's like a a thug basically but um what i i kept thinking during this part was um in resident evil 4 there was those guys that look like wolverine they've got like the helmet on you know what i mean uh, hmm. it's been a start, while they kind of oh like, yeah they can't see so they're kind of stabbing around in the dark and like you got to just kind of avoid them or something or be quiet um he, this guy isn't like covered or anything but that's kind of seems to be his game is like to just come in and try to beat you up and you know, rush at you. Uh, I don't know. It's, His name uh, is Brick and he was specially selected and that's about all we know. <laughs> that's official handbook of the new universe isn't going to have a real long article on Brick, I got to tell you. Anyway, he, he, uh, he gets a kick in the backside from Jenny as he's, as he's going by and she uh, dodges him, but he quickly turns, grabs her, by the foot and tosses her across the room. Um, narrating guy keeps going on for a while. Um, and she she uh, punches him in the stomach, but the guy just picks her up and then again throws her across the room. He likes to take punishment as much as he likes to dish it out. It's getting awkward now. <laughs> yeah, I'm not really comfortable with some of this stuff. Um, Spitfire, that was what your father nicknamed you. I mean, really personal stuff here, too. I don't know. Yeah, this, this guy's making me uncomfortable. So she's uh, confused. She's like thinking to herself, this doesn't make sense. The floors are padded. Like, they don't want me to get hurt, but they um, send this guy who obviously does have the uh, strength and apparently willingness to kill me. So, what are they doing? So, 
Then there's a noise. Brick has been trained to respond to certain frequencies of sound. Scree, scree, scree. <laughs> and one will turn him on and another will turn him off. And he's paralyzed. Anyway, this time, now turn around. Here's a new laboratory. We want you to build a new Max Armor. Yeah, we all want you to build a new Max Armor, Jenny. We've been waiting like four issues for that. <laughs> Here's this partially built Max Armor. Come on, <laughs> do something with it. It's like, it's not red. Look, this isn't going to work out at all. Um, yeah, she's, he, he's like, yeah, it's well-equipped lab, wouldn't you say? You probably recognize most of it. So unfortunately, it's incomplete now. We lack the technological breakthroughs only Carl Swenson's genius could, could uh, attain, which is where you come in, Jennifer. You don't mind if I call you Jennifer, do you? You. <laughs> Whoever you are, you're wasting your time. You'll get nothing from me. So they tell her um, she's got about 12 hours to build a new Max Armor or Brick will be sent back to kill her. Um, it's the only thing, only possible defense she'll have. And uh, anyway, be sure to follow your father and build a max armor. Choice is yours. Don't sacrifice, needlessly sacrifice yourself from some futile, misplaced sense of lo- pride or loyalty. Blah, 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 blah. I know. Jeez. Like, <laughs> I mean, okay. Smash cut back to um, Boston, I guess, where we're at the funeral for um, uh, Andy. Um, And this is what makes me feel like they totally just ignored that Jenny's missing because it's not like you go from hospital to funeral the next day. You know, it might take a week at least. Yeah. So this is at this point, I can only assume it's the future. Yeah. Because or Jenny was drugged for like out for a week. I don't that doesn't sound great. Either. Or it's, I guess it could be asynchronous, but. Either way, the remaining three troubleshooters are um, at this funeral. Eddie Giotti is, of course. And, and uh, the priest is talking. Um, the Andy's parents probably are there. It's raining just to drive it in. in. Make sure it says grim as possible um so afterwards the the troubleshooters are talking and uh, eric is still like kind of a downer but you know there's one word at a time like this says eddie revenge don't start that again giotti i'm not going to listen to it you try to talk some sense into the bonehead terry before he gets himself killed i give up he storms off so it's just you and me now terry says Gianni. and we're back to i don't know location x we'll call it where we have um this like long-winded guy half scene he's kind of in shadow and he's talking yeah. to a couple of other um monitors looking at uh jenny on a camera and uh yeah, he's smoking a pipe. He's all this very like distinguished dude looking guy. I don't know. The club, maybe. That's, That's what we're assuming. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. he's Edmund talking to Slash on the phone. 
And he was, I mean, it was like a consortium of concerned, you know, people trying to get her to do this. So, um, so yeah, he gets a call from Slash. Yeah, I thought you, uh, well, anyway, he's, uh, he talks to this other person who, uh, and they, I guess, have a bet on whether Jenny is going to um, do what they say or not. Um, so it's Edmund is who's been talking so far and Slash is his friend we haven't seen yet. Back in Boston, we have Teresa and Eddie hacking into the FBI main mainframe. I'm about to make contact with the home base of the FBI's nas- nationwide computer networks. And uh, that uh, think tank helmet um, let's, gets her in. Okay. Looks like the Bureau's gone to a great tro- deal of trouble to make their central computer impregnable. Well, duh. <laughs> well, she's just pregnated it. So, <laughs> but with Max technology, it makes Think Tank tick. It's a whole different ball game. I've spliced into the modem. Oh, yeah. All right. Now they, she's like bouncing a signal off of a satellite. And there's um, hacked into the mainframe. And uh, she starts looking through all the photos of the um, suspects, I guess, that, that are all the personnel files in the FBI. And there's a couple of uh, like technicians, uh, presumably at FBI ha- headquarters, running around panicked looking. Yeah. It must just now be dawning on a few mystified technicians back in Washington. Every tenth of a second, a hundred more classified mug sheets shoot through my brain. So she's exhausted by my aching head. It hurts to think. Wonder how many brain cells that workout cost me. Mm. I, I love be- the think tank is basically a search engine. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's great if like it's actually like, lobotomizing her slowly. Oh yeah, there's a cost. Terry, are you okay? Uh, oh, sorry. So they uh, look at the screen. It worked. You did it. You zeroed out on the murder and sleazebags file. Now we're in business. So they've got Steelhawk identified. Back to X, place X. Um, the voice is talking to Jennifer, who's doing something in the lab, and Brick. Uh, starts coming in um, and they say that you it's, an, it's maybe early because you ha- we could tell you weren't really doing anything so we've sent him back early she says uh, you know I haven't been totally I- idle and she pulls something out and this is interesting oh yes Jennifer you must be referring to the taser device we watched you construct and it emits a t- powerful electrical charge that uh, can bring down a person. Render your target target even as formidable as brick, utterly helpless. But we developed a counter weapon of our own. You see, <laughs> a little radio antenna. <laughs> <laughs> it's called a grounding wire, I guess. I don't know. It's a miniature lightning rod. Enable brick to repel your taser charge right back at you. Eek! So yeah, this thing goes back at her and she's down again. That's not how lightning rods work. <laughs> I, and I mean, if 
if they can develop a counter weapon as quickly as she comes up with one, why, why do they need her again? Maybe they anticipated her weapon, so they already had the counter weapon ready. I don't know. I'm just tired of this guy narrating the action. Yeah, I'd do just about anything to get him to shut up at this point. But he was afraid she might try something along these lines. But so he's uh, Edmund from before is now um, talking to, I guess, Slash in his office and who offers to double the stakes, double or nothing. I say the Swenson babe wimps out and you throw in the towel within 48 hours. Are you on or on? 48? I thought you had 12 hours. Okay, I, don't I guess if she doesn't do it in 12, then they got plan B or something. All right, 12 more hours, but this time we're serious. We not only have brick, we have, <laughs> I don't know, order. His block. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, back to Boston. Eddie's looking over uh, Steelhawk's record with the FBI. This guy, Bakhti, is a freelance terrorist on the most wanted list. Of every major law enforcement agency in the world. Uh, okay, master of kung fu, a bodybuilder, fluent in six languages, a master of disguise. Eddie's in love. I, <laughs> I like that they call him a master of disguise. And like <laughs> he wore like a Santa outfit. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty. Uh, he changed from like a one uniform to another yeah it was from one? like from an electrician into uh you know another worker <laughs> like two jumpsuits okay maybe he has got it all figured out uh, terry's like yeah eduardo maybe eric was right maybe we're out of our minds hmm eddie's distracted hey here's a new one you have any idea what rolfing is yeah <laughs> I, I I I was surprised they they. Uh, this is a thing I vaguely remember from seventies eighties, but yeah, I I, w- I would expect we anyone uh, listening to this today would need an explanation for it. But, Aligning the human body's energy field with the Earth's gravitational field, and you're rolfing. <laughs> oh really? Yeah, uh, it's a bit more uh, involved than I thought. Okay, it's a. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a bunch of nonsense, but it's some kind of weird massage technique that's supposed to be painful, but also, you know, the vagueness of energy stuff. Okay, very, that's very 70s then, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot. I thought it was just a very, like, phys- brutal massage technique. Um, I, I think it is, too, but that's just... But there's, like, a rationale behind it of, like, energy fields and stuff. yeah. Well, according to the FBI file, Bhakti is devoted to it. it he apparently believes in getting Rolfed regularly to stay in peak <laughs> condition. Okay. Here we go. There's only one place within 100 miles of campus, a health spa that offers Rolfing. He's looking through a phone book at the moment. Not much of a lead, I admit, but at least it's something to go on. What, what do you propose we do, Eduardo? Camp out on the front door of this place on the off chance Bhakti just might Decided to drop by. Well, man, sure beats waiting around here for us for him to do us the way he did Andy and Tim. And besides, if I'm going to put on these strong arms one last time, I can't think of anyone I'd rather pound to a pulp. Oh yeah, 
Oh, yeah. Bring on the overconfidence. Let's, let's get that confidence back up to 11 there. So um, we're back to um, Jenny. She's sort of lay, lay, head down on the table uh, in this lab, and she's um, not saying anything. The uh, two guys are now uh, talking, looking at this monitor or maybe a two-way mirror. Must be painful for you to watch the young woman's ordeal. I know you were a close friend of her father's. Huh? So, so they they talk about how brilliant her father was, but he couldn't deal with the real world and was like too idealistic. And he had a better idea about what to do with the world, but he stubbornly held on to those views till the day he died. In fact, they cost him his life. Now, and again, under the threat of death, you're finding out that the daughter is cut from the same cloth. It's still too soon to tell, Hannigan. Slash Hannigan. Hmm. Okay. I thought it was the fact that he worked for an evil weapons dealer that cost him his life. <laughs> you know, that tried to, that killed him instead of just firing him <laughs> or going into like some kind of IP uh, uh, court case or something. I mean, I can, uh, yeah, I can imagine like a world in which like issue t- you know, 10 of Spitfire is like, they're going back to, you know, their lawyers are filing for discovery and they're going around saving, you know, people from wells and the hicks that were going to roll off the hill and all uh, the cliff again. And they're doing all these kind of good things. And meanwhile, they're like, we can't get a jury to hear this case against his former employer because everyone's like, wow, these guys are the greatest thing ever. That's just, yeah. Yeah, anyway. well. oh, well, but that's not the world we're living in. So she's, um, she's throwing stuff around the lab. Um, and while they talk back at Boston, we now go to a health spa and, um, that's just what it says on the, outside yes. the door. <laughs> not sketchy at all. Um, Teresa. <laughs> That's, that's a, oh, never mind. Um, Teresa is making a call from a payphone that's like down the street from it, and she's uh, asking to speak to the Rolfer Rolfing masseuse. Um, inside, uh, this woman Helga is giving a Rolf to um, Steelhawk. She, her assistant comes in and tells her there's a phone call. It's very important, so she goes out for a minute. Teresa makes up a story about like asking if she can get her dog rolfed or something. I don't know. Just something to get her out of the room. And uh, we see strong arm drip in a, a curtain and uh, then goes in and starts massaging <laughs> steel hogs <laughs> back. And he's like, I heard the door creak, but I don't notice that you're now massaging me with strong arms. Strong or- metal hands. Ah, that's it. The pain is so invigorating. Ah! <laughs> and uh, yeah, he's in. Uh, Giotti is in full strong arms mode, and he does a double-handed uh, hit on uh, Steelhawk's back. It's a bit like the cover there, I guess. Um, this is for what you did to Ferris, and I'll, you'll get an even bigger charge out of this lifts up the table that he's on and is trying to 
break him or something. This is for Meadows. He basically Uh, smashes him into the ceiling. Ah, yeah, yeah. So he falls down and he picks him up again to smash him against the lockers. And this is for me. You know, a hundred different ways to kill a man with your bare hands, Bhakti. But against max fortified strength, you're nothing. (laughs) Strong arms, I can flatten 10 slime bags like you without even breathing hard. You're dead meat, butcher. And it is at this point that we all descend into madness. (laughs) Uh, It's time for things that get a little weird. (laughs) Over his shoulder, coming in through the window with a big crash, we have a ninja. He shall not die today, youngster. Oh, cripes, one of Bhakti's cronies. Uh, ninja, except he's got a machine gun or something. <laughs> That's what you say when a ninja springs through the window and shoots at you with a machine gun. Oh, cripes. <laughs> Gosh darn it. I mean, all these like slime bags like you. I mean, I don't know. It's always it's a little like over the top, but yeah, this is just... So he's like, oh, at least my strong arm stopped most of the slugs. They're now bulletproof. Okay. Um, but then the uh, guy, and now a Molotov cocktail to cover my tracks. Now we are announcing our attacks. Strong punch. <laughs> Ninja window crash. I Molotov mean, cocktail toss. <laughs> A Molotov cocktail is like an improv weapon. I mean, that's ridiculous. I just, you know. He's just carrying it around. What did he light it with? <laughs> yeah, he's just. Smoke bomb might have made a little more sense. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So Teresa hears the noise outside. An explosion. Eduardo. And. Uh, I guess she was back. still on the phone with Helga. I'm like, what were they talking about at this point? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I kind of thought it was um, she couldn't kind of keep her going, but who knows? Um, the the um, ninja is lifting up Steelhawk. You are in sorry shape, Arun, but you have survived worse. I will get you to safety. She uh, Teresa comes in and it's like there's smoke everywhere and flames everywhere. Eduardo, Eduardo, he's like lying on the floor. Crap, is he dead too? I mean, if she's the last one standing, I will. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, we're back to uh, Jenny. And uh, I'm afraid it's that time again, Jennifer. Time for me to blather on. Until you... <laughs> uh, I was hoping you're, uh, you'd do something more, but apparently you're still willing to give up your life to protect your father's secrets. And uh, they send Brick in. And he's getting breathing heavy and getting ready to deliver his death blow. And she pulls out a whistle. Really, Jennifer? A whistle? You think you can save your life with a whistle? <laughs> and then a ninja crashes through the window with a machine gun. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, that didn't really happen, but. <laughs> oh. What do you know? (laughs) Brick's lethal arm has suddenly been frozen in midair. 
Yeah. Uh, okay. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Please. Still talking. She's she. Uh, yeah. Gives him a big kick and sends him flying. Like, Jenny, oh, you sure dangerous. did kick him. Five and three quarters feet into the air with your boots on. <laughs> so, um, as he says, she left. She had the tape machine running when they uh, sent him in before, and like recorded the sound that turned him off. So she figured out a way to duplicate that sound. And uh, she's like, she's standing there with Rick down and like ready to fight some more. But the door opens and I guess the lights come on. And uh, this uh, Edmund steps in. You've proven to be a most courageous and cunning young lady. And she's like, what? (laughs) <laughs> You've passed our test with flying colors as a representative of, of the U.S. government, Jennifer Swenson. U.S. government? Where am I? Who are you people? Oh, boy. The U.S. government. <laughs> Much better. Um, all in good time, young lady. Allow me to introduce myself. I am Edmund Roth. And then his, his uh, buddy slash Hannigan is like, still in the shadows or behind a mirror saying he I'm an idiot for betting against her and losing but maybe I've gained a partner and not a bad looking one at that oh come on slash ooh that body mm. <laughs> next light my spitfire hmm <laughs> so would this be considered the true first appearance of slash Hannigan or just a cameo appearance of slash Hannigan <laughs> You know, in the uh, for my comic book money investments. <laughs> yeah, what's, what's the comic you know, buyer's guide? What's the? Yeah, I think like before straight, all, right. before all the internet became fake, and like all the funny videos are all staged. Like, there's a point where like people really like to go out and do pranks, right? So they would prank people, and then like you know do something really rude or like awful. And then be like, oh, look, there's a camera. Like, it's just a prank. And you're like, like you're just being a jerk. It's like, this is what the government's doing, right? Like, they're just going to pretend like we're trying to murder you. <laughs> and then like, oh, you passed the test. Come join oh. us. Thanks. Yeah, this is absolutely the worst recruiting tool I've ever seen in my life. And if she joins them, then then she's just going to have to listen to this guy's awful narration all the time, like over the radio. It's like, ah, oh, Jenny, I see you've broken past the enemy lines and you're jumping into that three-foot ditch there with your armor. <laughs> Why don't you Long use this, this, this? <laughs> mission only took six hours, but it felt like six days because he kept talking through the whole thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's... Um... <sighs> <laughs> Let me uh, try to summarize my dissatisfactions with this uh, issue uh, succinctly. Um, one is the sort of total disconnect between Spitfire and troubleshooters. I guess we've kind of been moving in that direction for a while. Um, two is the ninja popping through the- <laughs> to save Steelhawk. Yeah, that's just silly. And even when they're like, downloading Steelhawk's file it seems like the government is also so impressed with Steelhawk that they're talking him up so much like we love Steelhawk 
Um, I mean, yeah, the ninja popping in to save him is really the point where it's, it's like a, like a dungeon master in D&D who like hates you and loves his own um, characters or something, his NPCs so much. It's like, yeah. No matter how close you get to, to any sort of uh, advancement, you're like, oh, and now some, um, yeah, some other guys pop in through the window and drag him away. He's, he's ne- he's, he'll be back next week. I don't want him to be back. Yeah, I mean, if anything, it's just a, it's just lazy writing, right? It, you know, if you're going to have this showdown, but you don't want Steelhawk to be finished, right? Yeah, I mean, you could come up with a better way than like random ninja shows up. <laughs> I've got to think that's like really putting the bottom of the the drawer of ideas there. Yeah, though really. counterpoint, you know, that's a very '80s thing to do to have, is to have random ninja show up. Okay, if uh, if it turns out to be Sensei from the first issue, who's oh, like so annoyed with Jenny this whole time, <laughs> I'll show them all. No, and then he takes from he takes Steelhawk to a mountain to re- to train him and heal him and reform him into a hero. <laughs> <laughs> well, nothing crazy. Come on, it's Steelhawk. It's a hero's journey. What? <laughs> what? That's not fair at all. Okay. Okay. So yeah, I mean, the the idea that um, you know a trained assassin, even one kind of cartoonish like Steelhawk, is uh, more than uh, these these hackers could handle. Okay, fair enough. But um, kind of um, constantly, um, you know, just just going back to that well over and over again i'm feeling like this is enough enough so enough already Um, yeah and especially since as we see him in this issue like i mean he's there but he's just kind of like a lump right i mean the the fun part of steelhawk is that he's a little off like and kind of wacky and militant kind of thing here he's getting rolfed and gets beat up and spirited away and you know so we don't even get like the fun part of steelhawk yeah, he's usually hunting them, and so it's always this sort of cat and mouse game. So if like they turn the tables on him when he comes to kill them, and you're like, "Aha, you know, triumph is at you know ours at last" or something. Instead yeah, was, was it issue three that he showed up? And uh, I want to early. Four, right? four was the um, McFarlane, where, and I think that was where he started. Uh, he might have been a, like a preview yeah yeah maybe like a preview before that another one of these cameos that the overstreet price guide will notice someday uh, yeah like i say it's it just feels like the writer has like favorite characters and non-favorite characters and uh i'm a little worried about this slash hannigan it's like uh, Johnny Cool is coming to town. Well, thanks. You know, here's Spitfire and Johnny Cool, and now Johnny Cool has taken over this book too. So yeah. far, we haven't really seen Spitfire like dominate a book, even with one with her as the first in the title. Um, ah, many dissatisfactions. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> but at least she's in it. 
she is in it. I think page count is like uh, 50% or even more is her in this box with this uh, US government. I mean, man, were we ever that uh, innocent? Oh yeah, the government. Well, now I feel better. Okay. <laughs> These guys will totally help me out. Um, yeah. So, uh, I don't know. What are your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's messy. Uh, like, it, it's kind of funny, right? It, it's kind of fun. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's got some good pieces. Like, like I do, I'm... Regardless of where it's going, and like obviously it's a, it's setting up what's going to happen in the future. The troubleshooters are on the way out uh, by okay. getting murdered, which I don't like. I I I think we talked about it last time. I kind of get where they're going, and like, all right, these college kids tangling with dangerous situations. Like realistically, that's probably not going to work out that well. But you know, I don't think that was the spirit of the spitfire and the troubleshooters you know they're they're rascally trouble causing kids but i liked that angle better um so i, I don't like although i still struggle with their names to this day because they never set them up that well um uh, i don't like that they're being murdered uh i don't know if eddie's dead right um but clearly they're not going to be the future of the book going on if, if they've stripped them out of the title um yeah, I don't, I don't really like the direction, but I'm but I'm open to it. Uh, the story is pretty wacky. <laughs> um, okay, they can just find him in a massage parlor, and the FBI never could track this guy down. Like by I, I, going I, there and was, calling. <laughs> yeah, the whole um, I don't know. I haven't gone back to they they tracked him to that house and you know dealt with all his. Um, traps and then got the information about his upcoming attack on the prime minister um rescued the prime minister off panel (laughs) yeah yeah so i'd kind of thought they'd like had a a little more information about who he was and everything already but i guess not i don't know yeah that's fine i mean okay yeah finding him at the massage parlor is that's where I like again the like cinematic real you know, reality. It's like, well, here's something that's a little contrived, but at least it'll kind of get you to the next uh, action scene, and you know we'll we'll just kind of let it roll this time. It's <laughs> maybe it'll be kind of like the like what they do in the most of the modern like Marvel superhero movies, where you know they've got all this serious stuff, and then they like cut in little bits of comedy here and there to kind of lighten things up. So it's like, you know maybe twice an issue of Spitfire heading forward, the ninja will pop in through the window and like shoot her, shoot people up a little bit and then take off. It's like, what did he take if, this if time? They, a case I of beer. Been if they had done that well, at any point before this. So I would be like, Oh, okay. Here's the ninja again. Of course. <laughs> um, not exactly Chekhov's gun there. I don't know. No, I mean, it could have just shown us like a shadow of them in, in another panel or something. I don't know. So yeah, like I'll, it makes me happy to see Jenny again. It makes me happy to see Strong Arms. Just I'll, I'll always enjoy that. That that first issue of Strong Arms was fantastic. But yeah, the the narrating, the fight, and Brick, and the whole setup, and it's just kind of dumb. So it, it's it's hard. Like, do I do I enjoy this in the like so bad it's good kind of variety, uh, and that it's 
you know, got some things that I kind of think are fun or is it just, you know, bad writing and it's kind of weak. So I don't know how to grade it. I went back and looked at Carrie Bates because I, I guess he, he, um, done a lot of work in the 70s uh, um, Superman, Legion of Superheroes uh, a lot of DC stuff mostly so he was into the um, relaunch of Captain Atom there in the 80s the post-crisis when they took the Charlton characters that's right and I've seen I'm sure some of that um, which didn't really do much for me one way or another but um, you know, he's, he's a guy who's been around for a while at this point, so it should be a little bit more polished, I guess. Um, that sort of reaching deus ex machina um, levels of stuff. I just, um, yeah, I, it's difficult for me to say, like, this is, um, you know, dire, but um, there's definitely, like, a couple of... Um, dominant elements in this issue that I'm I, yeah that narration just endless narration it's like yeah that if you yeah you get tired of that pretty quickly so anyway yeah. I, I might guess that perhaps like they had a plan for what they wanted to do right like we want to move on from the troubleshooters we want to get Jenny doing stuff on her own maybe for the government and then you know, they just didn't have a good path to get there, or at least, you know, or maybe a short that's... deadline. And they just kind of cram some stuff together and like, uh, what if the government kidnaps her and gives her a trial and then the troubleshooters break up and die. And all right. And but here's this new cool guy slash Hannigan or Zeph Brannigan. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that that's fair enough. I mean, that's, I wouldn't be surprised if any of that was was the case. So yeah. <sighs> Did we ever um, get like the promise of Spitfire and the Troubleshooters though? Of like, you know, more than like an issue or two of just kind of like Jenny taking the lead, the Max Armor doing cool stuff, and the Troubleshooters, you know, getting into trouble and kind of like science whizzing their way out of things. Like, I don't. Did we ever get that? No, that's kind of the thing is like, if this had been going for a while and you were like, okay, we need to change direction. I mean, how badly could it, the sales have been if they were like, we need to change this much right now. You'd have like one issue to completely overhaul this title. That seems like, I don't know, man. Yeah. Or just Overcome. let it go and like give it its own normal arc without trying to, you know, introduce new characters and new and exciting things, you know, just let them drive around in their cool lab semi trucks and <laughs> rescue yeah. yokels and fight death tanks, you know? Yeah. I mean, what plot police aren't going to pull you over for, you know, having a wacky adventure or two. And, you know, like I said, the uh, appearance in star brand was like as close as we got to, super heroics for quite a while there like oh there's a kid trapped in a well welcome to the max armor here we go so, yeah yeah <sighs> anyway i will uh artist is still pretty good I, I like the 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 character work the faces expressions uh, i agree that's good 
Um, but I'll still give it about a C as like uh, major dis like unsatisfactory points in there. Um, yeah, we'll, just, we'll see. It, it may it may be a low point for Spitfire and the Troubleshooters. Not necessarily a low point for the new universe. I go C plus. Strong arms, man. That, yeah. that, that'll buy me an extra couple points. If I ever have to write a book and want to get a extra extra half point from Andy, I'll know one extra sale <laughs> makes all the difference. Well, let's see. Um, so we were talking earlier about the end of the shooter era which is a good way of describing the the uh, phase one uh, dominated by star brand and uh, which again we, we no one's ever really said it was autobiographical most people just sort of infer that from the setup um, but if shooter is off um, and this sort of becomes A, bi-monthly, and B, taken over by other writers. What does that mean for us in the new universe? Yeah, it's, a, it's always a big, big thing, right? I mean, the, the new universe is well known for creator changes, of course. Um, so... You know, a lot of the titles don't have like an ownership kind of thing where like one guy's really kind of steered the ship the whole way um, besides DP7 and Starbrand. So, so yeah, the change on Starbrand Star is, of course, a big deal then because um, we're losing that like one guy directive team kind of thing, that, that central vision. Mm. Yeah, without, <laughs> um, I mean... As I said, Shooter was kind of behind the scenes also as the new universe um, sort of um, ultimate um, decider of what was considered realistic and so what belonged in the new universe or not. And uh, as he gets less involved, I don't think he's out the door just yet, but um, it's coming. Yeah, it's, I mean, the flagship title it's the Superman of the new universe. Um, yeah, very much so. And I mean, yeah, Superman himself um, was just rebooting back then, but we, we've seen in the last few decades that it's been hard to keep um, a good Superman title going, I think. It's sort of always overshadowed by Batman now. Right. But yeah, and if you're thinking about Superman or, or just a lot of comics in general, like the, you know, you don't like, hey, remember that story in 2011 that was good? It's like, well, like you, you think about like the guys, the art writer artist teams that lasted a couple of years and had like a long run, you know, like the um, Walt Simonson Thor or something like that. Like, hey, that's a great Thor run. It's kind of universally yeah. liked. And, you know, so a lot of um, characters will have that, you know, that, that quintessential piece, at least after you get past Stanley and Jack Kirby, who kind of started half of, or three quarters of them, all of them, I don't know. But, uh, uh, but yeah, so that's like Jim Shooter Starbrand. Right? It's a little short, but you know, that, that feels like the important piece of it. 
where we can't say that too much about uh, most of the series currently, you know, since we do have the rotating cast. Yeah. I, I was thinking about some of the complaints I was, I've read about him, you know, not being action oriented enough. And, uh, I think um, I was trying to think if this was like an early slacker, you know, that sort of 90s character type of uh, it sort of became more ubiquitous uh, a few years later. Kind of like a Gen X slacker, yeah, right? Yeah, Gen X thing, yeah. yeah. Because those, it's a little early for that to show up, but, you know, five or ten years later, having a character who's like, you know, doesn't do anything is, that's cool. That's, people were doing that on purpose. I think. Yeah, I, I get that criticism, but I, th- I think, again, it's kind of like, I mean, this stuff was pretty different, right? Like, you, know, you open up Captain America and Thor and Batman and Wonder Woman, you know, and they've got like pretty normal comic book plots where there's a villain and something going on and some side characters and, you know, the villains are different and the threat to the world is different. But, you know, this is just a guy hanging out and he's got some girlfriends and, you know, some conflicts, but not always. Right. So, yeah, I I think that's what one of the things I really like about it is, is that, right. That it's just, it's not you know, him fighting villain and then the next villain and then the next villain. It's, you know, I really enjoy the focus on the real life day-to-day dating stuff and all that. It's fun. Yeah. Even with the stuff that's a little dated now, you, you, I I keep thinking it feels very forward looking. Like the eighties is very transitional and you, you're kind of going from when all comics had like words on the cover, you know, uh, you know, and dialogue from, you know, characters from like some scene in the comic to where it's just a picture or something or like a mood that's in the comic. And um, Shooter couldn't really, um, you know, control the whole line with just editorial oversight and maybe a way he imagined. But um, as sort of an example of something that comics were evolving towards, I think it's really forward-looking. Um, a lot of, like I said, the feels like big screen action that we would see with like uh, the Ultimates or you know, with Brian Hitch and Warren Ellis doing uh, the Authority later. Um, yeah, and and he was trying to kind of compete with, you know, kind of some of the big like watershed like popular comics that were you know sort of changing things a little bit you know the the frank miller stuff and the watchmen and whatnot you know so like comics were kind of having these moments of like hey we can do things a little differently even on the dc marvel side and so then new universe was kind of that but yeah i guess if you don't have the time or the money to uh you know, follow through and make everything super cohesive, then you've got a bunch of people writing some new comics and, you know, you know, a lot of them will just kind of fall back to those basic comic writing story kind of stuff, you know, and not necessarily tread new ground and, you know, going for that new you angle that, you know, realism, you know, plus something and that introspective kind of characters and whatnot. So, so yeah, they don't all get, character development sometimes they just kind of jump in and start doing wacky things but yeah i mean like i think mark hazard in the beginning was kind of like 
you know, following that kind of clever new you line, like here's this war guy in a war book, but not really, right? Because he's dealing with real life stuff and his family and the world around him and, you know, how, you know, being a mercenary is not a normal life and that kind of thing. So like that started strong with that as kind of a nice twist that made it new university. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, um, I don't know. Sometimes it's just like a matter of, um, you know, finding a group of, of creators at the right time and their sort of their development or, or something to, you can put something together where you've got multiple um, things going on. And uh, yeah, I don't know. The eighties was a real fertile time. So we got ahead a lot of real strong creators just coming up um, guys who'd been there for a few years already. So you could have, um, yeah, you, I mean, I'm starting to realize just how much effort it must've taken to get all these books out the door on a consistent basis too. I mean, yeah. With no money. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah, doing it on your spare time practically. Oh, they must be exhausted at this point. <laughs> like us after a long podcast. Yes. But um, yeah, it's a, um, I don't know, passing of the torch. We'll see where, where Starbrand goes. It would have been, like I say, a, a also fine if he, um, just sort of comes in as a guest star on, on occasion or something after this, it would have been as good for me, I guess. Um, Coach Kirby's found his new starting quarterback, Ken <laughs> Connell. <laughs> found this guy off the streets and he's going to compete you, Magna Conti. You think Better they're strong? up your game, Magna Conti. <laughs> Let's see what, let me show you what this guy can do. <laughs> no more lollygagging around. This guy can hold a nuke. A nuke, Magnican. But don't get any mud on him. He doesn't like that. <laughs> uh, yes. Well, let's see. Let's call it a cap for this week's episode. Next week, we'll be looking at... Night Mask number eight. The nightmare begins for Night Mask when he meets Justice. What? I gave that an ex- uh, question mark, but it does have an exclamation point. <laughs> Written by Archie Goodwin and penciled by Keith Giffen. What? <laughs> I, I got to admit, I do remember like Night Mask and Justice and Keith Giffen of like all these years ago. I don't think I've read it since. But I have not peeked into my short box, but I'm hoping that this is true because that sounds interesting. That's the one, yeah. <laughs> um. And I'll be looking at Cyforce number eight. A tourist trip to Alcatraz Island turns into a merciless manhunt of the Cyforce when the evil paranormal, paranormal stalker returns. And this time he gets them. Solid as a Rock is written by Danny Fingeroth and penciled by Mark Texiero. Oh, man, that's, if that's true, that's a good lineup. Whoever is listening should also listen to that podcast. I would definitely uh, call myself optimistic for next week. Well, in the meantime, you can check us out again at uh, kickersinc.com and you can email us at newuniversepodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, we'll see you back at the spinner rack.